we're rolling, we're rolling. We fought all day long. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5. Scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Welcome in, boys and girls. It's the start of Super Bowl week and time to start getting a little bit excited. A couple of bonus podcasts for you this week from us here at the Full 10 Yards as we bring you, hopefully, right up to speed with the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs before we get into our usual podcast, actually analysing the game itself. And then a bit of an extended betting pod as plenty of people will be having a flutter this weekend again involved in the fun that is Super Bowl Sunday. We start the week with the San Francisco 49ers and I'm delighted to be joined tonight by a couple of guests. We've got returning for another appearance on the podcast, the big San Francisco 49er fan and world record holder, Jacob. How are you, my friend? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yourself? Very well, mate. Very well. When do you fly out to that Super Bowl again? Uh, Thursday, my flight is. Uh, I'm all of a sudden not quite as good as you are, my friend. I'm extremely <laughs> jealous, but uh, well-earned, well-deserved, and obviously potentially the dream ending, getting to watch your own team, so we'll get into that shortly. And making his debut on the full 10 yards from a podcast perspective, a guy that brings you plenty of written content, but he's been eager to get his voice on the airwaves, and that happens tonight. And Welcome in, James. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad. Jolly good indeed. Right, let's get into it then, boys. Let's see how the San Francisco 49ers made the Super Bowl. So what we're going to do over the course of tonight and tomorrow is just have a bit of a whiz through the season that was. And the lads will talk to you about a couple of key games throughout the stretch of the season and highlight a couple of the big-name players to obviously keep your eyes peeled for when the action kicks off on Sunday who potentially could be the Super Bowl MVP for either of these sides on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball, because we often forget there are two sides to every NFL team with all the focus on the offense. So let's rewind and cast our minds back all the way to the start of the season, which still doesn't seem like it was all those weeks ago. But the San Francisco 49ers fresh off a disappointing 4-12 and season the year previous and picking second in the draft, Still have to pinch myself when I think they were picking second in the draft and are now all the way to the Super Bowl. But they opened things up on the road over against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was a 31 to 17 victory to kickstart the season. And James, just before we came on air, you actually said that you were quite impressed with this as a performance on opening day. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was very much determined how far they'd come just since last season. In in, I mean, simple stat for you. 2018, they had two interceptions all season. In the first game, they had three. So, it's they've made a couple of tweaks on defence. Obviously, Bosa being the huge one on the back. And it completely turned the team around. And it gave you a bit of a clue as to how the season might unfold. Yeah, no, absolutely. Early indications there in that one. And, you know, like you say, you look back at that statistic, it's unbelievable to think that, like you say, in an entire previous season, only twice coming away with the football and to actually outperform that within one game, it was certainly a sign of things to come, wasn't it? Um, you know, great opening day performance. Richard Sherman got himself an interception. He may well be one of the guys that we talk about later on, who's obviously been consistently good on that back end of the defence. A couple of other wins then followed um, before a very early bye week. They absolutely pummeled the Cincinnati Bengals 
um, which was a common theme for many teams in the NFL over the course of the year, 41-17 the following week. And then a big win um, at home, the home opener against the Steelers, tight one, 24 points to 20. And then for some reason, the NFL schedules these ridiculous early bye weeks and the 49ers, after just three weeks of action, got their only week off then for the remainder of the season. Uh, plenty of hype then surrounded the return to prime time and a Monday night football clash with obviously at that stage a very hyped Cleveland Browns team who at that stage were two and two uh, and coming off the back of a very big win themselves against the Baltimore Ravens. And Jacob, this was one of your games that you were there in person with, um, one of your um, you know 32 games that you went to. Yeah. I imagine it was quite the atmosphere and, and quite the spectacle being there as they absolutely pummeled the Browns that night, 31-3. to three. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly was. And it was a game where after the Browns had kind of did what they did against the Ravens, there was uh, a bit of expectation that, okay, this could be the first test for the Niners to see how legit they really are. And I think, I mean, the Niners had scored on their first offensive play and got a pick not long after. And I think the game kind of just spiralled out from there, really. And... I think it was the first time we really saw a team try and chase the game against that Niners pass defence that we now know is to be so, so good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've got to be honest, I look back in hindsight as a Browns fan and that was one of those Tuesdays I booked off work, which was a complete and utter waste of time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Should have probably gone to bed after that first play of the game, as you say, Mm. and the writing was very much on the wall um, and it, it didn't get much better. There on in, did it? Let's be completely honest. Um, next up on the schedule was the first of the divisional games that obviously were scheduled for the year um, against a Rams team, which obviously had appeared in the Super Bowl the year previous. And again, Jacob, you thought this was quite a significant win in the first half of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think after a lot of people maybe then disregarded the Browns test as actually a test, this for me really was the actual first test. And a lot of people didn't. Did, tried to disregard the Rams at this stage, but I really don't think that you could do that because I think this was really a case of the Niners going into LA and putting a real, real stamp on that game. And they were able to contain everything that the, that the Rams tried to do. They limit Jared Goff to just 78 passing yards. They get him down on the turf four times. And this was just a case of the first time we saw them really try and control that clock. There was a lot of rushing attempts in this game. And it seems to set the blueprint, really, for what happened a lot of times later on in the season, which was running the ball and and shutting down quarterbacks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like you say, a real significant signature win early in the season. Obviously, that divisional win as well. Dropped the Rams at that stage down to 3-3 three and three and obviously continued the Niners' unbeaten start to the season. Uh, James, I don't know if you remember the following week. I remember it for all the wrong reasons. It was the uh, the water bowl, so to speak, against the Washington Redskins. Plenty of people doing Klinsman dives all over the turf. Um, brought a few giggles, that one. Wasn't exactly one for the purists, though, was it? Nine points to nil? No, it's, um, to, to be fair, I, I, I nearly managed to forget it. Um, (laughs) in many ways it was probably best forgotten the the most important thing about it though was that it kept the unbeaten streak going and that was that was all the Niners cared at that point I think 
No, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, you know, it was very difficult conditions for both sides. I think the ironic thing now, looking back in hindsight, is Jimmy Garoppolo actually attempted 21 passes in that game. <laughs> you know, when you consider the, the, the game plan throughout the playoffs has obviously been to be extremely dominant with the run. Uh, it's almost remarkable that they attempted that many passes on that particular day. Um, but Robbie Gould, um, you know, goal by name, goal by nature, obviously kicked all of the points in that one. And as you rightly say, um, continued the unbeaten streak um, and moved them to 6-0. and uh, Next Interest- one. Go on, mate. Interesting start on that one. It was their first shutout since the opener in 2016. I mean, granted, conditions played a big part in that, but it's still the defence had to do a job and they did. No, absolutely, mate. And, uh, you know, Lawrence, my one of my regular co-hosts, will tell you the, the Redskins were formidable this season. I'm sure he's the only person that thinks that. But um, <laughs> like, like you say, all, in all seriousness, a shutout and, uh, you know, an extremely good performance to continue the unbeaten start. Obviously, then, complete reversal the following week. 51 points they put up against the Panthers. Um, 51 to 13. Um, and again, I suppose, Jacob, just an absolute explosion from the previous week. Obviously, really good to see. It was the first time that we saw Raheem Mustard's name really appear in the box score as well. Um, obviously, he would go on to have a brilliant second half of the season, which we'll touch on. Um, but it was a real start of that ground game dominance. And uh, they actually put five in on the ground that particular day. Yeah, absolutely. And this is certainly probably Tevin Coleman's coming out party. And until that Vikings game, that was probably really the most the best we saw of Tevin Coleman for the rest of the season. As you as you mentioned, Raheem Mostert kind of started to take the reins back end of the season, that's for sure. And this was really it was just dominance really on, on the ground. And that was a Panthers team that, you know, they were starting to do okay with Carl Allen, but it was just a different beast from who he'd been playing, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, again, another absolutely dominant performance and a really, really good um, way to move at that stage to 7-0. and oh. Final game in the first half of the season for the Niners was another win. A close one, though, was that a comeback was threatened by the Arizona Cardinals, but the Niners ultimately in this one, James Hung, hung on for a 28-25 victory. Yeah, it was very much um, a strong second quarter going into the end of the first half where essentially they pulled out enough of a gap that the Cardinals couldn't catch them, albeit they tried their hardest. Um, 11 points in the final quarter. It was a very weak game for the defence, to be to be honest with you. Um, so they needed their receivers to step up. In, in a, in a, it was a very unnineous game when you look at it, when you consider how many receiving touchdowns and they didn't really run it along the ground quite so often and the defence weren't holding up so Garoppolo was actually having to be effective for once. Yeah this for me was this was the this was the game where we kind of found out whether Jimmy G could do it because they were the first team that shut down the run effectively and it was the first time where they had to just go okay Jimmy let's see what you can do and he was able to do it over 300 yards and, and four touchdowns and and yeah I mean the first half the Niners I think Kyler Murray might have had 15 passing yards at the, at the end, by half time, but Kenyon Drake, I think, was that maybe his debut for the Cardinals? And he just exploded early on. Yeah, he, he say so he he went over 100 yards and a touchdown that day yeah. and was just was just dominant. But the Niners had their own new tie in Emmanuel Sanders, who'd only just made his debut the previous week. Seven receptions for 112 yards and a touchdown, and his was effectively the difference at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it wrapped up a, well, completely dominant first half of the season. You can't get no better than 8-0. But I suppose, Jacob, as the resident 49ers fan, I suppose, probably a little bit of frustration. Still quite a bit of disrespect coming from around the league. If you look at the teams that were beaten at the stages that they were beaten, you know, obviously, you know, take week one out of it because everyone's undefeated at that stage. But the Bengals were beaten. They obviously ended up with a poor season. The Steelers were 0-3 at the time. The Browns much hyped, but obviously failing to live up to expectations. The Redskins, obviously, again, another difficult season for Washington. The Cardinals rebuilding. So, although eight victories were on the board, there were still quite a lot of people doubting the 49ers. Um, a certain host of this podcast has certainly still got his doubts about those 49ers. Um, so, probably as a fan, a little bit, um, well, I suppose, disrespected, I would suggest, at the halfway stage. Yeah, I, it, I, it was funny because you see both sides of it. You do agree that the schedule wasn't particularly difficult but at the same time you can only play who who you who you're given um, but the thing that gave me the most confidence really going into the back end of the season was the margin of victory against these poor teams so you look at the Panthers game the Browns game the Bengals game they were absolutely destroying these poor teams um, and then you looked at a team for example like the Seahawks who had played a largely similar schedule and were scraping past these you know, these poor teams. And it kind of made me, gave me the confidence that what the Niners have got going is much more um, sustainable than what the Seahawks have got, which was they were scraping past a bad team. And that's with Wilson playing at, you know, MVP level, which how sustainable is that compared to the Niners kind of, you know, just doing their thing consistently and, and Jimmy G playing like just decent. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. Let's take a break then in terms of how we got to the Super Bowl and let's just start having a look at some of the key players on this roster. And we'll start, boys, with the offensive side of the ball. And uh, James, I'm going to come to you. I know you want to talk about a position group as opposed to an individual because San Fran have certainly spread the love when it comes to the wide receiver position. Uh, so you just want to talk about that wide receiving core. Yeah, I kind of picked the un- the sort of the quiet heroes of this one because the Niners have been known this year very much for the run game, and you know, not Jimmy Garoppolo has been effective where he's had to be, but you've needed the receivers on the other end. I mean, going into the season, everyone thought Dante Pettis was set for a breakout, and that very much died a death quite early on. But they needed people to set up to the plate, and Debo Samuel, I'll start off with, was coming in as a rookie, but he's made his mark. 57 receptions, 802 yards in the regular season, three touchdowns, effective also on the ground game occasionally where he's needed to be. And he's just been a fantastic option for them. And then I've mentioned his name already, but Emmanuel Sanders, after coming in October the 22nd in a trade with the Denver Broncos, has been lights out pretty much the whole season. He's been He's been a constant target for Garoppolo and just been... Very, very much provided the distraction to allow the run game to be so effective in the second half of the season, which we'll get on to. But five receiving touchdowns in 869 yards, despite having only played since week is it week eight. Um, so his debut was in that Panthers game that we just mentioned, scoring within six minutes of your debut for your new team. It's always going to endear yourself to the fans. And then one final person just to give a little bit of love to, because... You, you always need that decent third wide receiver to be an option. And Kendrick Bourne has had five touchdowns this season and three, over 350 yards. And he's, he's, always on, he's never exactly been fantasy relevant. He's never been someone you can you know, rely on in that area of the world. But 
for the Niners, he's been a really, really effective outlet. And if if teams shut down the run game and if someone's covering Sanders, Bonds just seems to be there. So not everything is, you know, I'm sure someone is about to touch on to, not everything in the passing game went to George Kittle. So I just thought I'd give the receivers a little bit of love. Yeah, no, absolutely, Matt. I think, like you say, they've been an effective group, haven't they? Um, and, you know, there's no real superstar that stands out. I think the trade for Sanders was a good one for all parties. And he certainly improved the offence in terms of its balance going down the stretch of the season. Um, but certainly, you know, the one thing that, you know, and I know Jacob's keen to talk about the run game and we'll get on to that. I think the one thing that the 49ers receivers should all be given immense credit for as well, particularly in this wide zone scheme, is their ability to block and their willingness to block. Uh, you know, it's particularly impressive. The edge is always sealed and that's why so many of these runs do go for big gains. The wide receivers are very much tuned into the run game as well. Um, you know, it doesn't happen by chance. So, yeah, certainly probably an underappreciated group, um, you know, and potentially, depending on how the game flow goes on Sunday, and we'll obviously talk about that later in the week in the preview pod, um, you know, they could be asked to step up in a big way, um, you know, if, if the game dictates that they do that. Obviously, Jacob, you'll be hoping that it's dictated more with the consistent running game that's been on show for weeks on end now. And I know you want to talk about one of those running backs in particular. And, uh, you know, James has already queued you up, if you like. Of course, the, the big name, if you like, that everybody will probably be familiar with, George Kittle as well. You want to give a bit of love to at the tight end position. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with I'll start with Mostert. And the, the thing I love about Mostert, and I think it's kind of been bred from his from his story is, is very much his attitude this guy went undrafted I believe he's onto his seventh team by now he was bouncing around practice squads and hadn't had uh, a proper snap in a, in a in a game until the until he was with the 49ers and last season he had a few snaps in the back end of the year when he was when there was a lot of injuries to people like Matt Breeder etc and he started doing very well and then I believe he broke his arm and coming into this year I think he was very much considered the the third choice as as a running back but the way he's kind of prepared himself and just attacked the game doesn't matter whether he gets a few snaps or not too many has just seen his workload increase throughout the year and that game, the previous game, where he plays 82% of the offensive snaps, that's the highest he's had all season. And obviously was aided by the injury to Coleman and to, to Breeder. But I just love his ability to, his vision is one of my favourite things. He's able to let these blocks set up and he's got such good blockers in front of him that that patience in letting that happen, when he then sees where he needs to go, he can just put his foot down and he has got absolute speed coming out of uh, coming through the line so he's got a lot of good things going for him on there but another thing I want to talk about is his work on special teams now there's a lot of running backs who once they become a starter would just give up all special team duties and uh, until the previous game where I believe he was probably forced out of special teams work because he was the only running back left he was still playing 30-40% of special team snaps and in that Vikings game even had the crucial fumble recovery when Cheryl's fumbled the punt so this is somebody who clearly has a great attitude towards the game and towards the team in the fact that he's willing to do essentially whatever he's asked and I'm very happy that it kind of paid (laughs) paid very big dividends in that previous game against the Packers really. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I remember when Mostert was at the Browns, he was actually there as a return specialist in terms of the special teams play. And like you say, you know, I'm sure a number of our followers will also be following Baldy on Twitter if you ever watch Baldy's breakdowns. But what yeah. um, what Jacob just said there about Mostert's vision and his speed through the line, incredible stuff, really. Certainly go and check that out. But yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great story and, you know, just goes to show that uh, some of these guys just need an opportunity, don't they? Yeah, for sure. And to, to switch on to, to George Kittle, who is someone that has probably been one of most of his best friends in terms of the holes he's been able to open up. If we start off of him as a receiver, I mean, this season he's had a 79.4% catch rate. Uh, that ranks him best amongst tight ends with over 50 receptions. So it shows that he's doing it while still getting a high volume. He certainly had some great breakout games and let's not forget that he missed a missed two games with injury and then comes back with a broken bone still in his foot and has 129 yards and a touchdown against the Packers for me Kittle is the only player that will be on the field in this Super Bowl that really affects every facet of of their offense or, or, or of either team he's more than happy that if you know the last game he had one catch for 19 yards that's all that was asked of him and he's more than happy to just run the ball and and block somebody i saw Shanahan say that if they don't run the ball for a, if they don't pass the ball for a couple of times you won't get Kittle asking you to throw him the ball or to call a pass but if you run four or five pass plays in a row he said you can guarantee Kittle will come over on the fifth one and say can we run the ball I want to go hit somebody so <laughs> I think there's the attitude that's certainly bred amongst all of the team really that he wants to go out there and do whatever's best to to beat to to win and he just enjoys playing the game and he's certainly a great figure not just on the field but off the field and I think he does wonders in the locker room yeah, no, absolutely. He's one of the superstars of the game, isn't he? Um, you know, and it'd be yeah. be great. Uh, obviously, Travis Kelsey, a great tight end for the Chiefs. We'll probably talk about him tomorrow. Um, two great tight ends on show, but certainly Kittle, a fan's favourite and uh, mm. one to look for on Sunday. I think, I think he's got the better matchup as well. When you look at the, the defences they're playing, the Chiefs, I think, give up the fourth most catches to tight ends and fifth most yards, whereas the Niners have given up the fewest receiving yards to tight ends all season. So certainly one to look at in terms of who we think will perform better. Yeah, it could be a big key to the matchup. Uh, let's get back to the season in review then and let's start looking at the second half of the season. And if there are accusations of a bit of a light schedule early doors, it certainly stiffened up <laughs> down the stretch, didn't it? Uh, the first defeat of the season actually came off the back of the bye week um, against the Seattle Seahawks. Went to overtime this one, 27-24 to the Seahawks. And, you know, no um, no shame in that, obviously. Um, but I suppose Jacob had had to come to an end at some point. Um, but obviously, yeah. a close matchup in which it did come to an end. The the undefeated streak. Yeah, it was it was a tough one to swallow. Both teams made a lot of mistakes, really. But when you when you looked at the the game and you realise they threw what could have been two uh, two picks. There were some stupid turnovers. There was I think they had twelve drops in that game, and they were still in a position. If they're if the rookie kicker, because this was when Robbie Gould was injured, if he can if he kicks it through the uprights, they were still in a position to win, and they played about as badly as they could. They had no George Kittle, no Joe Staley. Oh, I think that might have been Staley's first game back. Actually, I, I get that wrong. Um, no D Ford, no Quan Alexander. They were missing a big part of their team, and so they played about as 
had as they could and still were in such a tight one where they had a chance to win it. So that was possibly the only kind of saving grace from that game was that you wondered that if that's them playing badly and they're still three points behind a team that everyone considers to be very good, if they can get it together, as, as we kind of know they did, then they've got a good chance still. Yeah, no, absolutely. They bounced back the following week, defeating the Cardinals for the second time, a bit further ahead this time, 36-26. to 26. And then, James, there was a preview of what turned out to be the conference championship with the Packers travelling to San Francisco. And it was a bit of a beatdown, wasn't it, on Monday Night Football? 37 points to eight as the Niners absolutely dominated. What at that stage was a Packers team at eight and two themselves? Yeah, I mean, anytime you restrict Aaron Rodgers to 104 yards, you're doing something right. Um, and again, the run game was looking was solid, albeit not quite as spectacular as usual. Um, Garoppolo had a lot of work to do, but again, two touchdowns, and that was a big George Kittle game. 129 yards and a touchdown for the big man at, at tight end. Yeah, it was it was a sign of things to come, wasn't it, in terms of that conference championship. I know that scoreline was a bit closer, but I mean, essentially the game panned out very similar, didn't it, really? Um, so it was certainly a sign of things to come. Uh, the next game on the schedule was one that many thought would actually be a preview of the Super Bowl with the Ravens um, taking on the 49ers. And again, Jacob, another defeat, but only a, again, a close one, only a three-point differential as the, the Ravens outlasted the Niners on this occasion. Yeah, this the this was really a battle of of time of possession, really. Right down at the end, the Ravens got the ball, I think, with six or seven minutes, and they just ran the clock all the way down until they kicked the winning field goal. It was another tough one against a very, very talented Ravens team who we all considered the best team in the league at that point. So again, kind of if you go into that go out of that game losing by three points, you don't feel horrendous, but when it's so close it would have been great to get that get that W. But when you looked at that Packers, Ravens, Saints streak, streak of three games, I remember going into that streak thinking if we come away one and two, I won't be too upset. So going into that Saints game one and one, it didn't feel too bad. But yeah, it was a tough loss. Certainly was, but obviously, you know, you've alluded to it. That was the next game on the docket. And boys, I'm going to get both of your opinions on this because for me, this without mm. doubt is the game of the regular season. 48 to 46, the Niners go into the Superdome. Um, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, about the opportunity for Jimmy G to prove whether he could do it when it mattered. Um, and obviously, you know, this came down to the final drive of the game. So, James, I'll come to you first, mate, because I know Jacob will. Uh, certainly want to, to talk about this one as, as arguably, like I said, the, the game of the season and obviously with his side getting the win. But from a neutral's perspective, watching this game as, as I was on that day, just a great advert for the NFL and one of the reasons that we all love the game and just an absolutely brilliant finish at the end. If you, Yeah, if you want the perfect advert for the NFL, this was it. Um, Say so, so back and forth. The Niners with, was it 13 points down twice? And still came and still came back to take the win, but gave gave up on the first gave up points on the first four Saints possessions. So, yeah, this wasn't the defense's finest hour, um, but it was probably the offense's finest hour. Um, Say, so I'm sure Jacob will lead to um, Jimmy G and his 349 yards and four touchdowns, which I think that silenced a lot of doubters. Um, 
people saying that it was very much a run first team and then suddenly in a bit of what became a bit of a slinging match um, he managed to near enough out sling Drew Brees which is no mean feat in itself yeah I mean how crazy is both quarterbacks at 349 yards exactly to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was a bit crazy but yeah this was a this was a game much like the Cardinals game where they just had to go okay look we're gonna have to go throw for throw and you saw how much Kyle Shanahan had faith in it. Uh, he was, I mean, at one point they were two points up and he just kept throwing the ball. And it's not like they were trying to run the clock at all. It was just what was working. And I think the difference this time was that rather than it being against the Cardinals, it was against the Saints who were supposed to have a very good defense. And on the defensive side of the ball, well, yeah, again, not the Niners' greatest hour. I think they were quite beat up at this point on defense, but it certainly was what the first kind of time I was particularly worried about the pass defense. But I mean, Emmanuel Sanders had an incredible day throwing for a touchdown on that uh, wild end around fake that end trade around. play was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but then had seven catches and 157 of his, of his own yards. So that was an, um, that was an unbelievable one, but the play that sticks out to me the, the most by far is that crucial play from George Kittle, uh, where they needed to convert to get close enough for the field goal and fakes to break in and breaks out is is wide open and then it takes four play, uh, three or four Saints players hanging literally off his face mask to bring him down and he just keeps going and that was just that was the most George Kittle play I've ever seen and uh, as, and uh, it had 15 yards tacked on after as well exactly it was the perfect one the perfect one um but if you watch there's three or four plays earlier in the game that look identical to that two of them are run plays one is a different screen somewhere else so it just shows Kyle Shanahan's ability to draw up plays that can look very very similar until you're two three seconds into them and that's an absolute nightmare for a defensive player if you try to read the play and get keys and that's truly kind of what broke Kittle wide open, really. Yeah, he'll certainly go down probably as the play of the 2019 regular season. Well, and let's be honest, it was a phenomenal thing to watch on that particular day. And, uh, you know, one that lives long in the memory. Bearing in mind as well, there was all sorts of pressure on this game for both sides. It's got to be said, to be fair. Obviously, the NFC was extremely stacked throughout the year and the seeding could have gone any way. Um, and the seeding was still very much up for grabs with the final three games of the regular season, which started off with a bit of a surprise, a defeat to the Falcons. The Falcons did play a little bit of a spoiler at the back end of the season, didn't they? They got a few unexpected victories as they improved in their second half of the season themselves. So the Niners slipped to 11-3, and but back to winning ways the week after 34-31 against the Rams in a tight one, which obviously set up the end of season finale. And it was for all the marbles, wasn't it? It was a chance to either be the number one seed or slip all the way down remarkably to the number five and how different things may have panned out had that been the way that things broke down. Of course, flexed out for Sunday night football, the eyes of the nation watching. And obviously, you know, it was important for the Niners to get off to a good start in this one. And they did just that. And ultimately, the scoreline 26-21 suggests it was quite a close game. But Jacob, let's be honest, the 49ers had this one under control and pretty much, you know, made sure that people were aware of their dominance in the NFC with a, an ultimate sort of 26-21 victory. They did in the first half, and for how good they were in that first half, it was it was almost strange that they were only up by you know thirteen nothing, and 
if there's one player that you, I don't want to let back into a game, but always seems to be able to get in is, is Russell Wilson. And he has that ability every time. And the Seahawks came back into this one, but we'll talk about that Kittle play. If we want to talk play of the season, the play that defined the Niners season, and who knows if he'd even be in the Super Bowl if not for this play, we've got to talk final play. Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner combining for that hit on Jacob Hollister to stop him an inch shy of the goal line on a play that, that would have sent the Seahawks into the number, well, would have sent the Niners out of the number five seed and they'd have been playing on wildcard weekend instead of having their feet up at home instead. So that was, a, that was a huge play right there. And they needed a little bit of luck in this one as well. The, the delay of game on the Seahawks after they got that first down. But considering how many times they've been on, on the bad end of, of a close game this year, it's, it felt good for them to go back-to-back with the Rams game and the Seahawks game. To, I think it did wonders for their confidence. That if it comes to a close game in the playoffs, they, they know they can pull out the bag and they can make big-time plays like they did here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to be fair, I suppose in hindsight, it's a sign. It's been about a month ago. I forgot just exactly how close this game did end up getting. And as you say, it was literally a matter of inches, wasn't it, at the death? So, James, just for, again from a neutral's perspective, it obviously ended the season there at thirteen and three. Um, you know, obviously, we now know that the Niners have made it all the way to the Super Bowl. But on that particular night, when you know you either stayed up and watched it or you woke up the following morning, did you think the right team had been crowned as the number one seed in the NFC at the conclusion of that one? Hands down, to be honest. Then, I mean, the the unbeaten start was huge. You know, going at eight zip, nine zip was just unbelievable from the start. And even though we say it was against the weaker teams, it's still an achievement in itself. And you felt that they really should kick on from there. And say the fine using the final game was their first victory in Seattle since 2011. Mm. And it it was it was a bit of a Sort of, I wanted to say coronation pie, but it was essentially proving that they belonged there. And say so it was a game that they did control majority of the way through, despite that tiny wobble at the end. And then, what well, frankly, an extra wobble would have lost them it. Um, but the defense held up at the right moment, and say it came down to inches. But it felt the gap the gap between them and the Seahawks seemed a lot larger than inches. Yeah, I think Jacob categorised it pretty well earlier. You know, the Seahawks needed Russell Wilson to play at Superman level and, you know, there's only so often he can do that, as good as he is. Um, and for me, like you say, the 49ers rightfully crowned as the number one seed going into the postseason. Let's talk then, boys, about a couple of the players on the defensive side of the ball. And you just alluded to him there, Jacob, in terms of one of the guys that, um, you know, was a key in that defence. And I know that, James, you want to talk about him a little bit. The man who made or was part of that tackle at the goal line, Fred Warner, the middle linebacker, he's had another impressive season. Yeah, he's, he, he has been quite a rock. He's been it's a leading tackle getter for the team with 118, 89 of them solo, which was tied sixth in the league. Um, three sacks, three fumbles, and an interception that went for a touchdown, if I remember rightly. Um, he's been an absolute rocket linebacker for them and he's he's been developing for the last few years well I say last few years he only obviously came in in 2018 but his second year was just lights out 
Yeah, no, he, he has been good, hasn't he? Like you say, seems to be a really good find on him in his second season. A man who's more in the twilight of his career. Darrell Reeves, his new best friend by the sounds of things. Richard Sherman, obviously, on the back end. Um, he's had another excellent season as well, hasn't he, James? It's it's very much been sort of a rediscovery of the Legion of Boom days for Richard Sherman. Say so three interceptions leading the team, tie 20th across the league again. But he's... he's He's had one, probably one of his best seasons for a while, certainly for the Niners. So, yeah, I mean, it seems only fitting that he managed to get effectively game to the interception in both of the uh, postseason games. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, he's been a phenomenal talent for a number of years. I think that, you know, the thing that he often gets criticised for is the fact that he doesn't travel across both sides of the field. But obviously, when you're so effective in locking one side of the field down, it would seem strange to use him otherwise. He's obviously helped, though, Jacob, if the guys up front can get pressure. The defensive line has certainly got a lot of plaudits this year. Nick Bose has obviously been a great addition as a rookie. Um, you know, he's probably looked as good on the defensive line as any rookie in recent years. And that's coming from a fan of a team that drafted Miles Garrett. Nick Bowser has been unbelievable. But I know you want to give a bit of love to a guy that probably doesn't get as many headlines in Eric Armstead. Yeah, I certainly want to talk about Armstead. This is this is a guy who, until this year, really hadn't found his, his place on the team. They drafted him in 2015. And for the first three years, he played about a third of the snaps, a bit less. They drafted him to be a three-tech, but then they draft DeForest Buckner the year after, who's also a three-tech. So he kind of got moved out there. Uh, then they draft Solomon Thomas as well, who's another dominant three-tech in college. So last season, he ended up trying, they tried to turn him into kind of like a pure pass rusher, essentially turn him into a Nick Bosa off the edge guy. And that was never really his game at Oregon. And it wasn't something he adapted to do particularly well. Um, but he started getting on the field a bit more. But this season, now they've been able to go out and get D Ford and Nick Bosa. They've allowed him and Buckner to essentially play in, on the interior as pass rushers a lot more often. And it's just been his breakout season. He had 10 sacks, which led the team. His previous high was just three. He's played three quarters of the snaps. As I was mentioning before, the first three years, he was only playing a third of them. And he's had 18 QB hits. So he's somebody that's probably the the least mentioned across when you're talking about the four kind of key pass rushers in Ford, Buckner, Armstead and Bosa. But he's had a lot of productivity. And I wonder if a lot of that comes from teams being so worried about the others and maybe trying to double team the others and leaving him as the guy they leave one-on-one. But he's certainly had some very big sacks in some big spots to, to change the games, really. Yeah, that, that defensive line, you know, as a collective unit has been phenomenal all year. It's certainly created opportunities on an individual level for some of these guys, as you say. And, you know, let's face it, again, we'll talk about it more later in the week, but you'd expect that defensive line is going to need to show up big to slow down the explosive Chiefs offence. Um, and certainly, you know, stats are on their side. You know, they've been consistently good all year long. Um, so can they do it for one more round of games? We shall see. Right, boys, it's been fun, but the referees are running in, so we better get out of here. It's time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. Okay, then, boys, two minutes just to wrap up tonight's podcast bonus edition going through the 49er season and who to look out for just before we do go as it's Super Bowl week plenty of you will be looking for some merchandise and not just a stack helmet from Lidl my god if I've seen 100 posts of those on NFL UK's Facebook page I've seen a million of them Um, but you can get yourself some genuine NFL merchandise from the NFL Europe shop and use our promo code full 
10 to get yourself 10% off your order. So why not treat yourself in Super Bowl week? Particularly if you're a fan of either of the two teams, but if you're a fan of any franchise, why not go on and have a look? 10% off everything, including stuff already in the sale. Boys, before we do eventually get out of here, just very quickly in now more than 30 seconds each, why will the 49ers win the Super Bowl? James, I'll start with you. Um, I'll keep it simple in that they can do that. Well, they can win games in more than one way. They have a defense that has shown that it can be stout. They have a run game that's shown it can be phenomenal. And even if you stop the run game, there is a pass game there. Jimmy Garoppolo is capable. He has the receivers to cope. And any team with George Kittle really has every chance to win. Could he be a tight end to win MVP? Who knows? Good shout indeed. And Jacob, seems only fitting, mate, as the Niners fan. Last word to you, why the 49ers will win the Super Bowl? For me, it's just a case of matchup. They, I think they match up better than any team in the NFL against this Chiefs team. The, what the Chiefs do well, their aerial attack, is exactly what the Niners are set up to, to defend. They have the best of opponents' yards per, per attempt through the air. And everything the Niners do well is the Chiefs' weakness. The, the Niners' run game is exceptional. And that's really what the Chiefs have struggled with, struggled with as much as they've been a little bit better in the backup end of the season. They really have still um, had teams be able to run on them. So if there's a team that is set up to beat this Chiefs team, I think it's the 49ers. And as we've said, they can go through the air as well. We talk This game's build as offences versus defence, but the Niners have had a higher scoring offence than the Chiefs this year. And they also have the same yards per attempt through the air as the Chiefs do. So I think we're selling the Niners short, both offensively and passing-wise, if, 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 if it's billed as obvious as D. Yeah, we have written them off far too much this year. So, you know, like you say, it wouldn't be a huge surprise at all. Would it? You've done a good job convincing me, fellas. Let's see what the boys convince me tomorrow when we preview the Chiefs. But for now, let's get out of here. So it's goodbye from James. See ya. It's goodbye from Jacob. Goodbye. Enjoy the Super Bowl, my friend. And in the great words of Kevin Cadle, until tomorrow, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.